God bless you. We're going to go quickly into the word of the Lord tonight. Uh, before we do, before we do, it's been good to have uh, Brother Tim Brown here with us this week. And uh, why don't you come up here and greet us a little bit, Brother. Listen, you may be seated. Come up here and say something for the Lord. Stretch out. Feel like preaching? Preach. Amen. Take your time. Good to have you. It's good to be back in Sulphur, Louisiana. And uh, it's been a year since I have come to check on my sister, make sure she is uh, being submitted and nice to everybody. So I think she's doing okay. There's a few points that I might need to work on, but <coughs> we'll... Uh, we'll pass on those but uh, I'm so glad that I am in church and I'm so glad that God has allowed me at a young age to make a decision to live for him and uh, we were singing that song victory in Jesus the apostle Paul said that there is a law that we are all born with that works in our members and it is a law that we cannot overcome until we come to Jesus and until you come to God, you're not going to ever be able to live right. But I'm so glad that we have victory in Jesus. We can live an overcoming life through Him. And uh, there's nothing better than living for God, living right, making sure your life is hid with Christ. I'm so glad about that tonight. Praise God. Amen. What a privilege it is to give your life to God at a young age I don't believe that you have to backslide to be able to appreciate the church and I'm not trying to spit in the face of anybody who has taken a detour and find their, found their way back I thank God for everyone that has found their way back and uh, we don't want as I have said numerous times, we never want uh, you to feel inferior. Because I know the devil, he's the accuser of the brethren, and he does a pretty good job already of reminding us of our faults and failures and beating us down, and we have to overcome him uh, every day. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Sometimes we just have to rebuke him and put him on the run, put him in his place. I said sometimes we need to rebuke him and put him in his place. And uh, uh, I don't know where he is right now. I don't believe that the devil is omnipresent as God is I don't think Lucifer is but he's got quite a uh, efficient network of demonic forces and spirits that work together with him and and uh, they coordinate and and they do a pretty good job of causing trouble and torment about everywhere and in our lives so a lot of times uh, we just uh, 
we attribute it to him because he's kind of the mastermind of it all. I don't know where he is right now, but I know where he's going. He's going to hell. That's where he's going. And there's nothing that can change that. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, the Bible said. So not to be crass and crude, but sometimes we just need to tell the devil, to hell you go. Praise God. Amen. And I guess that would be the only time that it would be appropriate without uh, feeling like you're cursing. You know, just tell the devil to go to hell. Because that's where he's going. You don't want nobody else to go there, but that's where he's going. He's going to hell. And uh, by the grace of God, we're on our way to heaven. So sometimes we've got to put him in his place. And uh, so what I started out to say is I know that, that folks that have taken detours in life, and I'm going to say something, you know, we have all taken detours at some time or another. Just about every one of us, we may not have ever officially departed from the church. But there's been times when sitting right here on these pews... Uh, we have uh, grown cold yes, sir. in our spirit. We've grown careless and indifferent and lackadaisical yes. and lukewarm. Maybe even sometimes a little rebellious. And our hearts been crossed up with God. We may have been sitting here in body, but in spirit we weren't uh, too much uh, in harmony with what was going on. So we are all here tonight by the goodness and grace of God. Yes, sir. So again, I don't want anybody to feel who has stepped out there and God has enabled you to come back for you to feel less and inferior and insignificant or second class or some other strata or level of, of people. Because if we are here... We're all here by God's goodness and grace. Having said that, for the benefit of the younger folks that are here, you do not have to backslide to find out what the world is about and be able to appreciate the church. Number one, I don't recommend it because very few of those that go out ever come back. I have tried to pastor at one time or another a pile of folks that's not a good way of putting it a pile of folks but I have tried to pastor a quite uh, a group of people over my 19 years here and uh, as you know a lot of times I have expressed how that their faces pass before me like a slideshow and I often wonder, where are they right now? What are they doing? What's going on in their life? And some were here for a short time, some were here for years. And then they go on. And uh, hopefully they will all find their way back to where they need to be in God at some point or another. But many will never do so. It's just the law of averages. It's the way it's always been. It's the way it always will be. 
very few of those that walk away from God ever come back. So, going back to what Brother Brown said tonight, it is good to dedicate your life to God when you're young and stay in church and just live for God. It's not always going to be fun and exciting, although it could be. Really, there's no reason why it shouldn't be. If it ever isn't, it's because your heart gets hard somewhere along the way. Or you are being seduced and enticed by some spirit or the desire to do some things that are in the world or have things that you shouldn't have. Or there's things or people or whatever pulling on you and it gets your mind all messed up for a while. Amen. But, and, and so sometimes you may come to church and wish you weren't here. But I'm going to tell you, you need to come even when you don't really want to be here. I can say that from experience. I am one of a very few survivors from, the, from several uh, youth groups that I was a part of growing up. Whether in Brazil or whether in the church in California when I lived with Brother Howard Davis or whether in the church in Baton Rouge, I am one of a very few survivors of whole groups of young people. Amen. And many of them dropped out while, I was, while we were still young. They got to where they were of age. I don't know what happens when some, some uh, young people, they become of age, they get stupid. Maybe they already were stupid. I don't know. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but it is not smart to walk away from God. It's the dumbest thing you'll ever do. It's the most stupid thing you'll ever do to walk away from God. You can be a genius. You can be an Einstein. But it's still stupid to not live for God. You are endangering uh, not only your eternal destiny, you're endangering your life here on this earth. Uh, when you play around with drugs and alcohol and, and uh, immoral lifestyles, in today's world, the risks are just too high. Why do you want to endanger your bodies, your minds, mess up your mind, or get some kind of disease that you'll have to live with the rest of your life? Praise the Lord. It's too risky. And so even when I was still young, many of my friends, they walked away. And it wasn't easy to keep going to church when your best friends walk away from God. But I'm glad that I made a decision. And it's not because I was uh, necessarily uh, better than anybody else. But there was just something way down in here that I knew. Even when I wasn't... Uh, doing very well spiritually and at my lowest time and my weakest time somehow I knew in my spirit if I ever make that break away from church I may never come back and so I kept coming even when I wasn't a happy camper even when I was under condemnation even when I didn't enjoy the church service even when every message put me under condemnation and conviction I kept coming. Now, I'm not talking about a long period of time, but there was a period of time that was very, very rocky. It was a critical time for me. And I 
it could have gone either way but I'm glad that the Lord helped me so I'm going to say again tonight stay in church stay in church stay in church it's you know whatever happens your prospects are much better in here than they are up there that's why again the psalmist said I'd rather be or, uh, one day in thy courts is better than a thousand and uh, one day in here is better than a thousand days out there you've heard the expression and and sometimes young people hear these expressions and they they don't put much value to them it's kind of like when your parents whip you and they say now this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you you don't believe that not right then you don't someday you will understand and someday you're going to know what they meant and uh, you're going to feel a little bit silly and you're going to say well I'll be they were right and uh, and so there's other things that you might hear when you're young that you might think uh, I don't know if I believe that or not well uh, this is one of them your worst day in church is better than your best day in the world now you may be too young and too ignorant to appreciate that right now but it's the truth it is the truth and uh, if you will just be steadfast and consistent I'm gonna get to my lesson here in a minute but if you'll be steadfast and consistent someday when your feet are standing on streets of gold you are going to be so glad that you made the right decision and then you're not going to feel one bit regretful about not having left and gone to the world with maybe some of your friends just because you wanted TV or you wanted something the world had or you wanted to paint your face up or cut your hair if you're a girl or wear pants whatever it is all these little things that seem so important to people but they're really not important they're really not important when you think about it they're really not important I heard in the service in a service uh, last week up in Indiana, Brother Lawhorn, I believe, was preaching, and he mentioned a, a lady that uh, had been told she had terminal cancer. And she said, from that moment forward, she said, I found it extremely difficult to even be interested in conversations that dealt with temporal things. From that moment on, the sales going on, and a car or a dress or a pair of shoes and all these things that everybody's so uh, interested in she said it, it was as though from that point forward none of that was important anymore and she had a hard time even being interested in it because she was facing eternity And, uh, and whenever you really get a true sense of what we're doing here tonight, it's not just a church service, we're getting ready 
to leave this world. Some of us are going to leave by way of the grave and some of us are going to leave by way of the rapture, I hope. I really believe we're close enough to the end that there are people sitting in this building tonight that will experience the translation that Enoch experienced. When mortal puts on immortality and corruption puts on incorruption and weakness puts on power and we're changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and we become like he is praise the lord in that moment ladies and gentlemen none of this is going to matter at all not being able to put lipstick on or you know a, a, a ring on your hands or or a bunch of rings on your hands or on your toes or wherever it is you want to put them. All of that is going to seem so foolish because none of that is going to be translated with you anyway. All of that stays here. Praise God. And, and what is it about a young lady that wants to put on pants so bad? That's not my lesson, and, and I will try to get to my lesson. But, but uh, what is it, anyway? You know, unless, unless, uh, how can I put this? Uh, unless you're very fit, and I put it that way, you're going to look stupid anyhow. You're not even going to look good. Not as good as you think you're going to look. I don't know if I, there's even a good way to say that. But, you know, you see sometimes uh, women that have backslid left the church and they put on pants. And here they are, they're overweight. And, and, and you know what? It's just like, don't. Don't do that. Uh, whatever you might think you don't look good and and whether they're overweight or not I you know I saw a backslider uh, here not too long ago I think at a funeral and I wanted to go up to them and say if you think you're prettier now you're mistaken you were ten times prettier when you were in church well I don't know if anybody's believing that or not. Least of all, perhaps the ones that really need to believe that. Really need to hear that. Praise God. But, you know, I hate to break this news to people, but there's just not that many, there's just not that many girls and women that look like the models that are on the covers of the fashion magazines. So if you, if you think that's what you're going to look like, you're going to be really disappointed. You're disillusioned. There's not that many men that look like the guys on the muscle magazines. I'm sorry. Just, we're just not. And uh, so we're really not as good looking as we think we are. And so why let vanity get to us anyway? And drag us out of church so that we can paint and cut and do whatever. You know, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Let's just get in here. 
with both feet and with our heart and let's just live for God just live for God it's going to be worth it all someday it really is going to be worth it all someday praise God everybody say praise the Lord so get in church get full of the Holy Ghost stay full of the Holy Ghost don't let anything or anybody drag you out. They don't make a cigarette that's worth going to hell for. They don't make a beer. I don't care what the commercials say. There isn't a beer made that's all that good. I just can't believe it. I just can't believe that beer is any better than Coca-Cola and Sprite and root beer and Dr. Pepper and, and none of those are worth going to hell for. So if those aren't worth going to hell for, I know beer isn't. And I've seen some of the faces they make when they drink whiskey and whatever. And they, you know, if it's that bad and that hard to swallow, then why do you want it so bad? Praise the Lord. I'd just soon drink an Alka-Seltzer. At least it'll make you feel better. Some tonic water or something. You want to abuse yourself? Get some tonic water. It won't hurt you. It'll help you. If you just like to drink something that doesn't taste good, uh, drink, uh, what's that old remedy that they used to make people drink all the time? Huh? Castor oil. Drink some castor oil. Whatever that is. You like self-abuse so much, drink something like that. At least it'll be healthy for you. Praise God. And and so on and on. They, there is just nothing in this world worth it. How about it? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Praise God. All right, I said all that, and I'm not going to say any more. I am going to get to my lesson. And don't worry. I. This is Thursday night. Bible class and so I'm just going to dive into this and you know me enough to know if I don't finish I will stop and we'll pick it back up because like uh, if you here tonight and I want you to turn with me in the book of Jonathan brother Johnny okay let me see what I can uh, hold myself to here tonight John chapter 15, I'm going to read beginning with verse number 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Boy, I hate that. That it may bring forth more fruit. I like that. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye abide in me I am 
the vine you are the branches he that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me you can do only a little bit nothing, nothing. if a man abide not in me he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and man gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned if you abide in me and my words abide in you you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples I just want to talk to you tonight very simply about fruitfulness fruitfulness God bless you you may be seated now <clears throat> this may sound like a very very generic uh, subject and uh, this is probably going to be as much like a charismatic Bible lesson as you'll ever hear me attempt to teach but I really I really do believe maybe I should be like the man who had the uh, devil-possessed son and say I want to believe help thou mine unbelief I must believe that it is the will of God that we live fruitful lives in every sense of that term of course spiritually but I think that it would not be improper to add the material and the physical into it naturally they are much in much uh, subordinate and inferior to the spiritual but we live in this world we live in this life and I know the Bible says that man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble I understand that and I'm not going to be trying to preach a message of prosperity that says that if you live for God and if you're in the will of God everything is going to flow your way and you're going to be prosperous and wealthy and and uh, always drive the latest model vehicle etc etc but I will at least venture enough to say that that being in the will of God will bring you the most fulfillment you can possibly have in your life and that whether you have a lot or not that much that what you do have will bring you more happiness and fulfillment than you would otherwise have out of the will of God 
And uh, we're going to get sick. And some of us are going to die from illnesses. We're all going to die one way or another. You know, back when Ronald Reagan died, he was nine years old. Or no, he was older than that, 90, 93, I believe. They were trying to determine what he died of. He died of breathing too long. I mean, he just, you know, eventually we're all going to die. It's kind of hard to pray that God will heal somebody in that advanced age of life while we don't want anybody to die. You know, there comes a time God so ordered it. It's appointed unto man once to die. And it is at some point to pray, let the will of God be done. Pray that God will give a person mental fortitude and inner peace and spiritual confidence to be able to take that big step into the next life. Because sooner or later, whether we're a hundred and nine or younger we're all going to die and so for many of us it will be through disease and it will happen sometimes younger sometimes older some of you are thinking right now what a horrible thing to say you know we sing all we're the biggest hypocrites in the world we sing all these songs about heaven and about wanting to oh I want to see him and then we do everything in our power even when it's way beyond reason to stay right here and I know I, I can hear your vibes I hear you saying just wait till you get older and you might be right but that's why some things need to be said when you have your reason So please don't think ill of me and leave mad and upset. If you're going to leave mad and upset with me, leave over, over other things, not something like that. Because we're all going to die someday. And uh, no matter how, how good you are, how strong your faith is, etc., every one of us is going to die someday. Moses died. Abraham died. Jacob died David died these are people that should have lived forever but they died all the apostles died Lazarus was raised again but you know what he didn't live forever he died again I assume he did because he's not around Methuselah Lived 969 years, a ripe old age, but he died. And, uh, you know, I've already done what I shouldn't have done. I've stepped into quicksand, and I'm distracting from my message. But the point I really want to make is this, that I really do believe, in spite of everything I just said, 
that we can live healthier lives in God than often we do if we are in the will of God and before I even get into anything else I'm just going to preface it by saying that the laws and principles and you know the common sense that God gives to us and all of the rest it will help us if we do things right and better to live healthier and to live more prosperous and fulfilled lives some of you are sitting there saying boy you have got yourself way out on a limb I want to see how you're going to wiggle out of the situation you're in right now but the fact of the matter is let's just be honest folks can I be honest here tonight can we be honest because I'm going to ask you to be honest too there's no question that if we ate more properly if we exercise more regularly if we were more sensible with the way that we take care of ourselves if we got more adequate rest and sleep than we do I'm indicting myself here a lot of added and joint problems and muscle problems and problems and a lot of things because we have not taken good care of ourselves it has nothing to do with the devil or anything else we want to eat everything America is the country of the all-you-can-eat restaurant and I'm not sure that we should be eating all we can eat. We shouldn't be eating all we can eat. We shouldn't be eating until we're about to pot. We should learn a little moderation. And if we'll take care of ourselves, eat more properly eat the right diet eat our fruits and vegetables come on now and all the good food that God has provided us in a sensible manner we wouldn't be dealing with a lot of the sicknesses that we are dealing with at younger and younger ages and so moderation and uh, and discipline and all these things are principles espoused by this book. And so living for God and being in the will of God will help us. Why will you take it from your daughter? And I know you're saying, healer or physician, heal thyself. And you're right. We're all suffering from abuses to our bodies as life's been embraced in this modern age. I read an article in Time magazine one time that said the average American craves sleep 
like oxygen. The average American is suffering from and so it's it's not proper and it's offensive whenever you talk about you know not eating things that are just fattening but it's still right we want the truth only when it is palatable not when it kind of uh, hits close to home the word of God has something to say about every aspect of our life and if we apply the principles that are in here I promise you you will live a happier more abundant more fulfilled more successful life than you would otherwise but it'll be better than it would be otherwise praise God and uh, you know it's like I have mentioned a lot of times about about uh, my boys and my boys being my boys they have to bear the brunt of the illustrations for my sermons but uh, you know the the principle of of uh, being uh, dedicated and persistent and all of that is um, is true even when you are in school and then just blow it off and say well I'm just not as smart as somebody else or you can apply principles that are in the Word of God about discipline and applying yourself and you will do much better than you could otherwise All right, amen. well it's a little rough here in the early going but there is no in our potential. And I think that several of these verses are very clear about what God wants for us. For instance, look at what it said here in verse number 2. Every branch that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. He is interested in branches that bear fruit then, is he not? Because yes, everyone that bears not fruit is taken away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it for what purpose? That it may bring forth more fruit. God wants more fruitfulness. And I might point out also here, right at the beginning of this lesson, not the beginning tonight, but the beginning of this lesson, that... It is not specific fruit. It's very vague and am ambiguous about what the fruit is. And why is that? Because it's talking about fruit in whatever way you want to plant. It doesn't define what the fruit is here. We can assume that it's talking about spiritual things, and I think we would be right if we assumed that, but I don't think you can separate the spiritual from the natural all the time. In other words, I don't think you can be dedicated in God and sloppy in your secular life. 
Now, if you're going to be one or the other, obviously, be dedicated to God. But your character is your character. And if you're sloppy in your everyday life, chances are very good that you're going to be sloppy when it comes to church and the things of God. If you're indifferent, casual, haphazard, lackadaisical in your everyday life, that's probably going to be evident in church as well. You're not suddenly going to become a different person when you walk through those doors. The person you are is going to be evident in every facet of your life whether you're sitting in here or at school or on the job or at home isn't that right so bearing fruit even if you just want to say it's spiritual fruit it's going to spill over into your everyday life if you want to just use for instance the word fruit as it pertains to the fruits of the spirit that's an easy one, that easy connection we can make there because the Bible speaks about the fruit of the Spirit and then it names them, nine of them. Love, peace, joy, etc., etc. Alright, even if it's only talking about that, produce more fruit of those nine and see if it doesn't spill over into your everyday life. See if it doesn't make you a better worker, a better student. A better husband, a better wife, a better son or daughter, a better brother or sister, a better friend, a better neighbor, a better citizen. See if it doesn't make you a better employee. That they will want to promote and advance and give the better positions to and increase your pay uh, scale because you become more valuable to them. The more you add value to yourself, the more valuable you become to your employer. The less they want to let you go, the more they want to keep you around. The more they want to reward you. Say, no, that's not the way it works around my job. It's just who you know. It's not what you know. It's who you know. With that kind of defeatist attitude, you're never going to go anywhere. You've got to realize that you are a child of God. And then you ought to live for him with everything you've got and see if it doesn't help you in every aspect of your life. And so it does not specifically define fruit here because it, you can plug in whatever you want to plug in here within the parameters of what it says and we'll get to those parameters uh, as we go along even if not tonight but in verse 2 it said that it may bring forth more fruit in verse number 8 it said herein is my father glorified that you bear but fruit. much fruit so shall ye be my disciples or in other words in that way you will reflect me we give glory back to him when we bear much fruit and in verse 11 these things have I spoken unto you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy everybody say joy, joy. might be what 
three voices said full. No, no, living for God means that you've got to walk around with a heavy heart. Your shoulders slumped every day. The weight of the world on your shoulders. And, and uh, sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes there's trouble in our life. Sometimes there's heartache. Sometimes there are burdens. Sometimes there are difficulties. Sometimes there are heartaches and heartbreaks. And we're not going to... It would be abnormal if we're just bouncing around grinning from ear to ear. When your closest friend just died or your companion or your child or whatever something uh, really big happened it would be a little bit unnatural and so I believe that the Word of God read in the book of, of Proverbs where it says there is a excuse me in the book of um, Ecclesiastes where it says there is a time for this and a time for that and a time sometimes it's time to dance and sometimes it's time to mourn so we're not living in, a, in some kind of a bubble or a fantasy here. But I do believe, and the Word of God has stated it, it is His will that your joy be full. So we're going to have those low times. So even allowing for those low times, surely there's some times in between that when we ought to have our joy full. All right. When we ought to be able to come to church and run these aisles or leap for joy or shout unto the Lord with victory. Amen. We ought to be excited about living for God and excited about life and joyful about things. He wants us to. He wants our joy to be full. I'm just telling you what the Bible said. We can sit here and make all kinds of excuses and, and pout and sulk and feel sorry for ourselves and we've all done it and so have I. And maybe more than any of you. Praise the Lord. We've all done it. But my, my problem is I've got to get up here and preach to you. And so, you know, I've experienced it. I know what it is. And a lot of you know what it is too, but... But God doesn't want us to live downtrodden and and uh, and, 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 and demoralized and no, and uh, uh, despondent and discouraged all the time. No, we ought to have days when we come to church and there's a smile on our face and there's a glow on our countenance and and we can sing the songs of Zion and mean them and sing about the fullness of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so can we agree here tonight that regardless of what any of us might be going through, experiencing or have experienced, that the Bible is very clear. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full. It's not joy that's contingent on your bank account being where, it, where you want it to be. Or your car working just right. But there is a dimension, he said, that my joy may be in you. Praise God. Praise God. All right. 
Praise God. And so, I think it's clear about that. And this chapter shows us how. And it tells us, first of all, what the source is. The source, of course, is him. And he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Now, think about that for a little bit because the vine is what everything is going to flow from. He is, first of all, our creator. He's the source of all life. Everybody say life. Energy. Power. Goodness. Beauty. Perfection. He is all those things, isn't he? And so all of that flows from him. Yes, sir. Amen. If you have any of that, it's going to come from him. You won't find it anywhere else. He's the only source of it. We preached here just recently from James 1 and 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. Or is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. In whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. Every one of it. And so you want good things in your life, you want happiness in your life, you want fulfillment in your life, you want joy in your life. It's all going to come from Him. Amen. Nowhere else. Amen. And His resources are unlimited. There is no end to the energy and power that He possesses. None. He made the universe. He just spoke them into existence. And look what happened. Hallelujah. And he used just some of his energy and made the universe. Here we are just a tiny little ant. In this ant hill called earth. Moving around. This God that created the universe, He's got all of it. He's got all the power. We don't need all of it. We just need some of it. All right. And He is able to dispense it as needed. Yes, sir. In verse number 5 of James 1, He said, we quoted it the other night, if any of you lack in wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men sparingly. He gives to all men what? All you have to do is ask for it. Sounds too simple. There's a somewhere has to be, be that simple. If any of you lack in wisdom, let him ask of God. 
fountain of all wisdom. His power is unsurpassed. His knowledge, his wisdom, it, it, it's beyond measure. It has no depth, breadth, height, length. It surpasses knowledge as the heavens are high above the earth. I don't need all of his knowledge. And I don't need all of his wisdom because I'm not God. But I need some of it. I need enough to get through this life that we're living in here and these challenges and problems. And so his word said, just ask him. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Ask him. All right, God. Your word said ask you. And here I am. I'm facing life. And it's thrown me some curves and some problems. I don't know what to do. I feel dumber than a box of rocks. And little rocks. Amen. And I don't know how he does it. But when you pray sincerely. At the right time. At the right moment. In the right way. He provides the direction and the wisdom. All you have to do is put his system to work. Now bear with me here a minute. So I'm going to stop in just a little bit here. But he does this even for the unbelievers. We were talking the other night about some of the great conquerors that have lived. Men like Genghis Khan and Alexander the Great. You think they could have achieved what they achieved if God had not helped them? Because what they accomplished, really, when you think about it, was impossible. Alexander the Great died in his early 30s. He was conquering when he was 17 years old. It's impossible. Nobody can do that. You don't think there was a little bit of divine enablement in all of that? You mean to say but God helped Alexander the Great? Yes, I believe he did. And I'll tell you why he believed he did. I believe he did. Because not long after that, the Lord was going to come to this earth. And he was going to appoint some apostles. And those apostles were going to go into all of the civilized world with this gospel. And the only way they would be able to is if the paths had been opened to them. And they were opened by a man who conquered all of those countries and territories. Later, of course, it came under Roman rule, but even the Romans couldn't have done what they did if Alexander the Great hadn't done what he did. And so all of that was intended to open the path for the gospel. You think this here is just a little something, a little footnote in history? This is what history is all about. Right, amen. It's his story. Yes, sir. 
He's the one that's ordering all this. In the book of Daniel, when uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he got too high and lifted up for himself. You know what happened? The Lord swatted him down. Here he was, he was out there, he had his thumbs and his lapels, and he said, Is this not great Babylon that I have built? And God, he probably heard a deep clearing of the throat. <clears throat> As God said, Oh yeah, buddy boy, you think you did all this? You think it was your smarts, your expertise? your unique gifts and talents that did this let me show you what you are without me and down in all fours he went eating grass like an ox until seven times passed over his head and his nails grew grew out like eagle's claws and his hair like feathers and he was wet by the early morning dew every day and he was like an animal, a beast of the field, the great conqueror of the world. The Bible called him the hammer of the whole earth. Yes, sir. Do you know why Nebuchadnezzar was there? Nebuchadnezzar was positioned there in order to punish Israel and to fulfill God's word and to put in motion and in place all the things that God had already decree decreed and he needed somebody to do it and so he positioned Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar thought man look what I have done and he didn't realize there's a big hand moving him around right. Right. until understanding returned to him and then the Bible said the very first words out of his mouth he lifted up his eyes and he praised the Most High who alone rules in the heavens. And he does with the inhabitants and he, as he pleases. And there is none that can stay his hand. Praise the Lord. And, and so Alexander the Great, he conquered and Genghis Khan, uh, later on he conquered and opened up the, uh, the paths from Europe all the way into Asia all the way to China and uh, you've heard of Marco Polo Marco Polo he traveled uh, from Europe he spent 20 some years before he ever came back he went all the way to China uh, and uh, and he traded there and he did business with the Kublai Khan the Kublai Khan was the grandson of Genghis Khan, the great conqueror. And Genghis Khan, he was a Mongolian and before him, and he was an illiterate youth. Just an illiterate youth that knew nothing. But somehow he was able to uh, unify all of the little uh, tribes of the Mongolians they all had the little tribes with their chieftains and everybody did as they wanted to do and it was like nobody won't tell me what to do and so they had their all all their own little tribes and he was able to unify them and organize them into one amazing and awesome conquering horde and they saw away from the far east and west they went over those mountains and and uh, into hundreds and even thousands of miles conquering back in those days 
countries were city-states, where each city was, uh, they had their walls and each one had their king. And, uh, and everyone had their own little fiefdom and, uh, and uh, nobody traveled very far. They only traveled as far away from the city as you could go in a day and come back by nightfall because it was too dangerous to travel at night. There were the nomads and the marauders and the robbers and thieves out on the highways and nobody dared go very far. They would kill you and take everything you had. And Genghis Khan marched west and conquered all of those city-states and he was brutal and he was ruthless. But he conquered them all the way to Europe he went until, and I read the book about him and it said there, I forget now how long it was, but it was a period of hundreds of years. I want to say close to 700 years afterwards they said you could travel from Europe all the way to China with a gold plate on your head and nobody would touch you. Because he instituted such a system of government and laws and opened up those trade routes and that's how Marco Polo was able to go and that's the path that the gospel took God used those men to open up those paths and he's still using men today I believe that some of what George Bush has done in the last few years in uh, conquering Afghanistan Afghanistan hadn't been conquered since Alexander the Great Afghanistan and Iraq, now 50-some million people are suddenly accessible by the gospel again. And my uncle, who was here just a week ago, is involved with a non-denominational group, has for many years called the Voice of the Martyrs, and he has personally smuggled Bibles into Vietnam and behind the Iron Curtain when they were still standing, and, and they take the, the Bible... Uh, into these uh, forbidden countries and territories and he said that it has been reported that in Baghdad that they are passing out Bibles and the people are stopping in the streets to receive them like you're handing them candy where a few years ago that would not have been possible and so God used and the theories and, and the understanding of things that was way beyond their time. God, I believe, equipped them with it in order to accelerate the pace of uh, civilization and, and, and to further His will. And on and on we could go. The same is true of great inventions. Amen. The telephone, electricity, automobiles, airplanes, and all of this has facilitated the spread and travel of uh, spread of travel and and communications and all of this in order to make His word available to people everywhere. Praise the Lord. And God can do that for men who are unbelievers, who aren't even, amen, His children. If God can equip men like that with supernatural knowledge and ability and strength, what about us who are His kids? Can't He share a little with us when we need it? Can't He equip us with a little knowledge? A little power, a little bit of resources, a little uh, whatever supernatural help every now and then. I submit to you that yes, he can and yes, he will. Yeah. 
but we have to believe him. We have to quit sitting around here making excuses for ourselves all the time. And we need to start waking up to what we are and who we are. That's why I said this is the most charismatic message you're likely ever to hear me preach. But I'm going to tell you, we are God's people. And it's time for us to quit going around like we're a walking apology. We're the greatest people on the face of the earth. We're his sons and daughters. We're filled with the Spirit. We're baptized into his name. And we're on our way to heaven. And if we need some help to get through this miserable life that we're in, I believe God can, can, can lend it to us. I'm, I'm going to have to quit here. I've gone as long as I, as I wanted to. But I'm going to read one passage and maybe stop. It's a passage well known to all of us. Matthew 7 and 7. Ask. And it shall be given unto you. I won't argue with it too. But that's what it says. Seek. And you shall find. Knock. And it shall be open unto you. For everyone. That asketh. Receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now again, we can argue with this all night if we want to, and we can make all kinds of excuses and exceptions and exemptions. We can do that. Or we can say, God, I need some wisdom to understand this. If you meant that, Help me to understand it and know how to put it to work for me. We can just brush it off. We can just toss it aside and say, yeah, I tried that. It don't work. Or we can say, God, you know how dumb I am. But you said that. Now, I want to know how I can make that work in my life he goes on to say or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread will give him a stone or if he ask a fish will he give him a serpent if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children how much more. Everybody say, much more. much more. Say it again, much more. Much more. Shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him. And maybe somebody is thinking right now, hallelujah, I'm going to start asking him for a million dollars. Well, um, go ahead. Don't forget to tithe on it. 
and uh, I'm going to have to stop here so I can't go any farther because you will learn that there is more to it than that. But go ahead and start asking. He may give it to you a hundred dollars at a time, but but it still says it. And and you know what? I'm just going to tell you tonight, and I'm closing. I'm tired of overstepping some of these passages just because they're hard to understand and just because we might have a hard time knowing how to put them in practice if it's in the book and he said it I want it and there's no reason why the charismatics should have a monopoly on it and I believe that we can start enjoying more in life than we do if we will just learn what the word of God has to say and start applying it in the way that it's written. Let's all stand tonight. Thank you for your patience and your attention. Praise God. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord right now. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word, for your goodness and mercy toward us. Thank you for your promises. Hallelujah. Thank you for your provisions. You have been so good to us, God. We're unworthy, we're undeserving of the least of your blessings. Really, Lord, one reason why we are so hesitant to ask for more is because you've already blessed us with more than what we ever deserve. And yet, God, we do want to experience the life that you had envisioned for us, a life more abundant, more fruitful. God, that our joy might be full. We want to bear more fruit to your glory. Grant it, Jesus, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Keep us in your care until we meet again, body, soul, and spirit, under your blood, in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed tonight. Let's be faithful to church on Sunday. Bring somebody with you. God bless you.